returning to our study on the book of Ephesians this morning, I just got to say that I'm... Services like this, when we worship the Lord like that and the Spirit of God falls on us like this, just get me, get me cranked. I just enjoy being in the presence of God so much. That's what it's all about. And uh, I just appreciate all of you coming with a heart that wants to worship and uh, just diving into it and celebrating God's uh, presence, his, his, his salvation, all of it. It really makes getting up here, it, it makes me really want to preach. I just get like, it's got to come out. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5. We're returning to Ephesians after having the summer off and uh, talking about some different topics. And now we get back into a... Uh, verse-by-verse study of this, this uh, important book. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, it says this. It's in your bulletins if you don't have Bibles with you. Uh, it says, be imitators of God. Think about that. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God, therefore. As dearly loved children and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. Your word has power to transform us. My word has no power, but your word has all the power in the universe. And so, Lord, we pray that you would take this word that I'm going to say and make it your word. Lord God, uh, fill it with the content of your word. Invest it with your spirit. And God, I pray that you'd use it to transform us. Uh, Lord, we so often live far beneath where we can live because of what you've done for us. And I pray, God, that this message would be used to bring us up to speed. We could see and understand and be motivated to walk as you want us to walk. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would someone backstage bring me my water? I, I, I have to, I've, I've got some water someplace, and my voice therapist says I'm supposed to have water. Would someone, yeah, thank you. Oh, I appreciate it. Oh, there it is. Thanks. Only time in your life you're ever going to hear that a Baptist is told to be a heavy drinker, but I'm, I'm really a... Okay, it wasn't that very good joke, but you know, come on. But three years ago when we started Woodland Hills, I made a commitment to you that I've, I've really tried to keep, and that is that I w- would be uh, self-disclosive and vulnerable uh, be behind the pulpit. This is the pulpit. And uh, I want to try to keep that, but now that I'm out from behind the pulpit, I can lie. No. <laughs> I want to tell you a little bit about kind of uh, this, where this word that I want to give this morning came from, and that's actually part of the giving of the word. Here's how I normally do sermons. It's not the orthodox way that they teach in seminary, but it works for me. On Monday morning or Tuesday morning, I read the Bible. I read the verse that I'm going to preach on. This is why I like to preach through the Bible, because then I know what's coming next. Otherwise, you've got to spend half the week trying to find what verses you're going to preach on. This way, Monday morning, I know what verses I need to preach on. So I go to the Bible and I read it. And I just let it sit there and cook. Um, I, I try to very frequently memorize the passages that I'm going to be uh, preaching on. I let it distill in my heart and my soul. Let it be a part of my mind. I, I bring it up in prayer when I'm riding in the car. I, I maybe recite the verses. And I try to ingest the verses so that on Sunday morning when I go to preach, 
What I'm doing is not so much talking about something outside of myself as it is sharing myself. I want to become the word that I'm going to share, and then it's a natural thing to get up and then just kind of share it. We've been encouraging our worship leaders to do that, to take the songs that they're going to sing and pray them through and think them through and sing them through numerous times throughout the week before they worship so that when they get up here, they're, they're just being themselves. They're not trying to remember something outside of themselves. It's just part of who they are. And that's what, how I like to preach. And usually around Thursday or Friday or so, something begins to come to the surface, some angle on this, some insight from it. I begin to get some fire for the verse. I begin to get some passion for the verse because I never want to preach anything that I can't be passionate about. If I can't get passionate about it, how can I make anyone else passionate about it? And so usually by Thursday or Friday, I start getting a passion and a fire and I begin to get excited about it. I begin to look forward to Sunday because I know that there's something that really is important to say. This week, none of that happened. <laughs> I read the verse on Monday, you know, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and live a life of love, even as Christ uh, gave himself as a sacrifice for us, a sweet-smelling fragrance unto the Lord. I read it. And normally when I first read any verse, it's just sort of there, and I just let it, I don't worry about it, I just let it stew, I let it cook, you let it generate. Well, by Wednesday, still nothing. Uh, Thursday, nothing. Friday, Nothing. <laughs> I'm sitting there saying, Lord, okay, uh, this is the time where you kind of turn on the juice. Uh, you make me excited about something. You know, we, 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 you know, you know, the, you know the gig, okay? You're supposed to make me excited. And uh, <laughs> come on, <laughs> give me something. Uh, well, I began to, in prayer, investigate why it is that I'm just sort of flat. I'm feeling flat, just feeling like, bad. And here's what I found, and in finding this, and the Lord, I think, kind of helped me find this, in finding it, I began to get some insight about what the verse is about, and I began to get some fuel for what the verse is about, because here's what I found. I'm coming off of a summer where we're dealing every week with some real hot, controversial topic. And I, it's my nature, I like hot, controversial topics. I like stuff that, you know, oozes with controversy, and I like... I like the chance to be a teacher and to get into the Greek and to parse the Greek verbs and to kind of share it and, and tell people stuff they wouldn't otherwise know and to satisfy people curio people's curiosity. It's kind of exciting. It's kind of big for me. And I like that. And so even though this summer was kind of hard in terms of the topics we talked on, I liked it. Every week I just liked it because it's like, it, it's not hard to generate a lot of excitement for this, but what I saw this summer was this. I didn't have to rely on God as much for the excitement as I normally do. Because the topic was so exciting in and of itself. And there's always something new and curious and, and a different angle that I could bring. And this struck me as boring. It's like, oh, imitators of God. Be like Jesus. It, it felt like a, a uh, Mr. Rogers sermon, you know, a beautiful day in your neighborhood. Let's be like Jesus. And it did. Oh, come on, where's the, the newness? I want an angle. I need some controversy. I need some fire. I need some fuel. You know, I want to, you know, give them something they haven't heard before. This is so old. And I felt flat. And Friday, I began to discover that. That's why I'm not getting any fuel for this. It's not. And the Lord revealed this to me, sinner that I am. That I had very subtly this summer let a criteria creep in that has no business creeping into the ministry. A criteria for novelty, newness, excitement. The Word of God isn't enough, you know. You've got to put this spin on it. You've got to get this angle on it. You've got to, you know. And I saw how easy it is. In fact, how inevitable it is if you don't continually have a concerted effort to stop it. 
how easy it is to let criteria or ideas dictate what you preach and how you operate, not just in preaching, but in worship and everywhere, that have nothing to do with the kingdom. I began to see how easy it is, how incredibly easy it is, because there's an enemy out there constantly working to this, to this end, to, without ever deciding it, to be all of a sudden slightly turned in the direction where style is more important than substance, and, and, and tantalizing someone's curiosity is more important than conviction, and refining technique is more important than transformation, and, and soothing people's ears and stroking people's ears is more important than saving people's souls. And I began to see how easy it is how inevitable it is if you don't take continual concerted effort to fight it, to enter into sort of a competition with yourself where you try to always have a pizzazz and you better it every week and you want to keep the crowds coming and you want to you turn the whole thing into a performance. And how easy that is. And the Lord was kind of using this verse to sort of nip that in the bud for me, saying, kind of did a McFly job on me. It's like, hello, is anybody in there, McFly? Hello, are you home? And you know, not shaming me, but just calling me stupid is what I was doing. But saying, Greg, I don't recall ever making it a part of your call. I don't think I ever made part of your job description that you're supposed to do new stuff. I, where's that in the contract? Where's it in the contract that you're supposed to uh, you know, always give new information or satisfy people's curiosity? Or where's it in your contract that you're supposed to say what people want to hear or keep people coming back? Sometimes I may call you to do the opposite. See, the Word of God... The Word of God has got nothing to do with being exciting. Now, I think the Word of God is exciting, but it's, it, it, it doesn't hang upon being exciting. And I'm not going to go out of my way to be boring. I hate boredom. Boredom to me is worse than being cold. It's worse than, than pain. It's worse than having a razor blade or a Congo drum cut open your hand. I, I'd rather have that pain than be bored. I hate boredom. It goes against my nature. But it's one thing not to go out of your way to try to be boring. That's another thing to go out of your way to try to be exciting. That is never called for. And when you do, you begin to trade in the Word of God for a carnival. And the Word of God, the power of the Word of God, and the ministry of music has nothing to do with being funny. It's got nothing to do with keeping people's attention. It's got nothing to do with numbers. It's got nothing to do with performance. It's got nothing to do with how good the songs flow together or how nicely the things are. You don't go out of your way to be bad, but you don't have to go out of your way to try to get every technicality perfect. The Word of God and the power of worship and all of that has got nothing to do with that. What the Word of God has to do with, and this is what the Lord was showing me, is what this verse is talking about. And I can't for my life believe that I actually thought it was boring on Monday morning. The one criteria for what counts for kingdom work, the one criteria for whether you're following God's will in preaching and whether you're following God's will in worship, the one criteria for everything that goes on in the kingdom is this. Are you making imitators of God? Are you... Producing people. Is this one of the fruits of your preaching? One of the fruits of your home fellowships? One of the fruits of your worship is, is, is one of the fruits, and in fact, the central fruit of everything you're doing, the fact that people are getting to look more and more like Jesus. And I'm not talking about growing a beard. I'm talking about in your character. I'm talking about in your commitment. I'm talking about in the way you look. In the end, the one thing that matters, and next to this, nothing else does matter, is this are people. And it doesn't matter how many people. That's not part of the criteria. But are the people that are following you, 
Are they looking more like Jesus? Are they talking more like Jesus? Are they loving like Jesus loved? Are they seeing the world as Jesus saw the world? Are they embracing one another unconditionally the way Jesus embraced people unconditionally? Are they forgiving sins the way Jesus forgave sins? Are they laying down their lives for others like Jesus laid down his life for others? Are they being imitators of God like Jesus was an imitator of God? One criteria is that. Are they being surrendered to the Father the way Jesus was being surrendered to the Father? So you can, you can have, you can have, and you will have, if this is what's important to you, if this is what you're shooting for, you can put on the best show in the world. You can have everything just down smooth and pat. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who will love that. And you can say words that are so soothing and endorse the status quo and make people feel really good about themselves and have a nice Sunday morning religion and have the best show in town and you're not doing a rip of a thing for the kingdom because you're not making people, you're not leading people, influencing people to look like Jesus. That's all a waste. The Word of God has power to transform us, to be imitators of God, and nothing else does. So what is this Word? Whether it's exciting or not is not important. What is this Word saying to us? I think if we hear it, it is exciting. But that doesn't matter. The Word is this. Paul says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Think about that. Imitate God. Now, a lot of people think they imitate God when they, you know, there are people who act like God. They say, you know, people say of them, oh, he, act, he thinks he's God. You know, he's acting like God. And it's always when people are bossy, you know, and, and, and pushing people around or whatever. Oh, what is it? He thinks he's God? But see, God, if you're acting like God, the true God, you're doing the opposite, according to this verse. Imitate God. The word imitate. The Greek word is, here's something you never knew before, I bet, huh? Uh, the, the Greek word is where we get the word mimic from. <laughs> The word we get the word mimic from, mimic. Now, the, we think of mimicking as an external thing, pretending to act like somebody else. But the Greek concept is this. It means to parallel in every way the one that you are mimicking. To become a replica of what you are mimicking. To, as it were, mirror, to mirror the one that you're imitating or mimicking. You stand in front of a mirror, stand in front of a mirror, pretend like this is a mirror. Everything you do, the mirror does. That's why they call it mirroring. You raise your hand, you know, do you ever try to beat the mirror? You know, you just can't do it. You turn around and it's still there. Everything you do, the, you know, like the Patty Duke show, everything you do, the mirror does. You know, it, it's, well, that's what the word's getting at. Mirror God. Mirror God. Imitate God. Mimic God. Shadow God. What you see God do, you do. If you preach... See, if you preach with any other criteria, if you preach with any other goal, any other agenda other than just do it because God said it, if, whatever, if you've got numbers as your criteria or, or performance as your criteria or anything as your criteria, what you get up with, what you end up with is a religion. A religion that is middle of the road. A religion that is nice. A religion that is sweet. A religion that is quaint. A religion that is pleasing. A religion that never pushes the edges and it's not radical and that's why people like it. But folks, if we hear this verse, the way the verse is written, this is as radical as anything could ever get. Mere God. I can't believe on Monday morning that I thought this was boring. Mere God. This is radical. How do you mirror God? Well, where is God to be mirrored? Where do we see God? I mean, where is God image? Where is the word of God? Well, the answer is in the person of Jesus Christ. So the question is, how do we mirror Jesus Christ? How do we imitate Jesus Christ? 
And if we understand that, you'll see there's nothing but nothing mediocre, middle-of-the-road-ish, conventional about it. It is radical to the extreme. For one thing, uh, he just pulls some things out of the hat. Jesus Christ had a habit of sometimes making people very mad by what he said. He spoke the truth, the truth about him. He spoke the truth about other people. He said out loud what he saw, what was real. Whatever the consequences were, imitate that. Try mirroring that. Try not, try not manipulating what you're going to say on the basis of what you're going to get out of it or what's convenient or whether people are going to like it or not. Say things straight. Say out loud what is real, that the consequences fall what they may. Jesus did that kind of thing. Try imitating that. What about this? Jesus went around, as we just said a minute ago, Jesus went around loving like no one else ever loved. Try imitating that. He loved prostitutes, and it wasn't very popular to love prostitutes. He sacrificed his own reputation to hang around with these sinners because they had a heart to receive him. Try imitating that. He accepted those who were not acceptable. He loved those that society said was unlovable. Try modeling that. He lived his life with an unconditional, absolute, moment-by-moment, total surrender to the Father. Absolute, unconditional, moment-by-moment, total surrender to the Father. Try imitating that. Mirror that. As you see, Jesus, move, move. He lived his life to invest in other people. Now, he was never a milk toast. He didn't sit around saying, hey, please walk on me, abuse me, I tend to like it. That's not what love is. But he did. He did do whatever he had to do to love another person. He did whatever he had to do to... To, to embrace another person. And he did it in obedience to the Father. Try imitating that. And not only that, but let's think of this. It says, be imitators of God. Well, what did God do even to become the person of Jesus Christ? Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2. Let's hear it. You cannot get more radical than this. How did I think it was boring on Tuesday morning? Let this mind, Paul says in Ephesians, or Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, this is how you ought to think, okay? Think about yourself, think about the world this way. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was by very nature God, didn't grasp after that equality with God, but made himself of no reputation and t- took upon himself the nature of a servant. And he became obedient even to the point of dying on the cross. Let that mind be in you. You want something to imitate. We so often imitate the world and the world's narcissism, the selfishness, the me-centeredness of the world. But you want to imitate something, this is what we are called to imitate. Imitate what God did in the person of Jesus Christ. The God who throughout eternity has all glory became a human being and took upon himself our degradation. Try modeling that. For the sake of love, God, who has all the joy, the bliss of heaven, took upon himself our despair. Why? Because he loved us. Try modeling that. Try imitating that. God, who's got all the rights in the world, abandoned all of his rights, laid his life down so that, and took upon himself our bondage so we might be free. Try modeling that. The God who reigns forever in heaven took upon himself our hell that we might live with him throughout eternity in heaven. Try mimicking that. Try imitating that. Try mirroring that. What would it look like for us to live life with that sort of ability on the basis of love, with that sort of willingness on the basis of love to voluntarily surrender our rights, surrender our joy, surrender who we are because we love the other person and we want to see them share what we have. 
What would it look like in our families to imitate God? What would it look like in our marriages to imitate God? What would it look like in our places of employment to imitate God? What does it look like in our neighborhood if we imitate God? What does it look like in the body of Christ if we, in fact, take seriously this word that we are to imitate God, mimic God, mirror God in our relationships with one another? You couldn't get it more radical than this. It goes to the core, the core of our being. This is the opposite of any sort of middle-of-the-road, safe religion. This is the opposite of so much of what... See, hang on, pause. In saying this, I'm hearing the Lord just say, talk like I talked, okay? That's the only job you have got. And Jesus often said things that offended people. I, I never see Jesus once wondering how many people were following him. What he wondered was when everyone left him one time because he ticked everyone off, his disciples were still hanging around. He says, aren't you going to leave too? <laughs> That's not quite the same thing as being concerned about numbers. That's one of the reasons, by the way, that we quit putting numbers in the bulletin there. It's like, no, nah, this is just sending the wrong message. Like that's, a, that, 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 like that's an issue we should be concerned with. So you've got to say things that are straight, and sometimes it won't be heard. Well, sometimes it's going to offend. With that provisio, this teaching, this word, goes so much directly. I hope you see this. God, help us to see this. So much against what so much of American Christianity has come to represent. Where what religion's about is a theoretical belief that you hold, but it has very little consequence in your life. And what you're about is a Sunday morning thing, you know. And what really matters, the criteria that you determine that so much of this religious milieu in our culture determines what is right and wrong by is, what does it do for me? What's in it for me? Well, how do I get blessed from this? How do I make out good in this deal? Me, what about me? Do I like it? da 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 And this word is saying imitate God. And if imitating God means anything, it means the direct opposite of that. But the question is, how can I invest myself in love for the sake of others? And that is as radical as you could ever get it. What's got to happen is for people, for us, if we're doing kingdom work, this is, what, this is the sign of the kingdom. We begin to think like Jesus, love like Jesus, act like Jesus, and the whole church becomes a sort of walking Jesus where we deliver people like Jesus, we heal people like Jesus, we lay down our life for the sake of others like Jesus. Be imitators of God. That's a high calling. Now, it's not the kind of thing you can just say, one, two, three, I'm going to do it now. So Paul goes on and he says this, be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. Two points I want to quickly bring out of that. As dearly beloved children. First of all, let's focus on this word children. Children. Why does Paul bring that up in this verse? He brings it up for this reason. Children have a natural proclivity to imitate their parents. In fact, children are supposed to imitate their parents, so sometimes it's maybe good that they don't. But they're wired that way. Kids, kids tend to look like their parents, right? They tend to look like their parents. There's exceptions to that, but they tend to look like their parents. I was in a supermarket one time when my daughter, my oldest daughter, was four years old, and we were in line to get something or other, and the guy back of me was just making small talk, and he said, what a beautiful daughter you have, and I said, yeah, I know, and my wife wasn't there, and, and Danae has blonde hair and blue eyes, and so she said, oh, this person, this guy said, uh, well, um, she must get the, blue, the blonde hair and blue eyes from her mother. I said, no, as a matter of fact, we both have brown hair and brown eyes. Um, and he was kind of like, you know, taken back by that. Well, he tried to talk about the candy or the weather or something, but then about two minutes later, he came back and said, sir, I, I, please excuse me, but I, I feel a moral obligation to tell you that uh, this can't be your kid. 
He said that. I mean, I'm in the supermarket. And so I said, oh, well, whose kid is it? He goes, I, I don't know. I said, you're saying this is the milkman's kid or something? He goes, I'm sorry. I know this has got to hurt, but, but uh, you, you, you can't. He's serious. He says, it's genetically impossible to, you know, get blonde hair if you got two people with, with brown hair. Now, I told him this, that you must not have passed Biology 101 because I've studied Biology 101, and it is genetically possible. Granted, it's uh, like in Mendel's Laws 1 and 14 or something like that, but it happens. I've got sisters who have blonde hair. My wife has sisters who got blonde hair. Our mothers had blonde hair, so my kid can have blonde hair. <laughs> he tried to fight me with this, so we end up fighting, you know, She's not your daughter. She is my daughter. She's not your daughter. She is your daughter. <laughs> the gall. You know, the gall. You know, getting mad at me because I kept on insisting it was my... Listen, okay. The exception proves the rule. Normally, kids look very much like th their daughters. In fact, my daughter, with the blonde hair, blue eyes, despite that, looks very much like me. Looks a whole lot like uh, Shelly. She acts a whole lot like both of us, too. My other daughter, Alicia, it's not just in physical appearance, but it's in what they do. My, my one daughter, she's always joking around. She's always playing pranks. She likes to, she just, it's, it's me all over again, always being goofy and whatnot. My little boy, and it's not just what they learn from imitation. Little Nathan, from the time he could walk, whenever he would get excited, he'd jump up and down and flap his arms like this. And he didn't learn that by watching me because I gave up doing that a couple years ago. Now, now I only do it if I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but see, he's genetically wired the way I'm wired. When I was a little kid, I was always doing that. So much, you know, and a lot of your parents know this. Little things, in fact, you remember how you used to do this when you were a kid. Little things that you would never expect. The way he builds wood together, the way he, the way he thinks, the problems he has, all are things that I have dealt with and still deal with. He's wired that way. It's in the nature. It's in the nature of kids to be wired like their parents. It's in the nature of kids to look like their parents. It's in the nature of kids to act like their parents. And what we need to know is this. Believers, we are children of God. When the Bible says we're children of God, it doesn't mean that we're just like children of God. Like, this is a cute analogy. Uh, it's not giving us a nice metaphor. It means it very, very literally. No, we're not children the way earthly children are children of earthly parents. But we are children of God in a very real, very literal sense. The Bible says in John 1.13 that as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the children of God. We are very, really, very truly, very literally the children of God. First Peter says that we have been born again, not with a perishable seed, but with an imperishable seed. We've got a new nature inside of us. We really are children of God. John chapter 3, Jesus says this, that those who accept him are born from above, or some translations have born again. We've got a new birth from God the Father. First John chapter 3 says this, Beloved, now are we called the children of God, and rightly so, for such we are. We truly are the children of God. And then it says, It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know this, that when He appears, we shall see Him as He is, for we shall be like Him. The bottom line is this. Kids look like their parents. Kids act like their parents. In a fallen world, there's exceptions to that, but in God's creative design, that's the way it's supposed to be. And so also, we who are believers are very truly, very really, children of God. And it's in our nature to look like Jesus Christ. It's in our heart of hearts. It's in our mind. There's a part of us in the deepest recess of our soul that wants to be exactly like our dad. 
and nothing else. We want to look like him, talk like him, act like him, love like him. There's a part of us that knows intuitively and wants to give our life that we might find it. To do like our dad did to make us his children. Amen. amen. You better believe it, amen. Sometimes believers walk around and they say to themselves stuff like this. Well, I, you know, I, I'm just by nature a sinner. I'm just by nature a sinner. I'm just by nature a victim. Bad things is always happening to me. It's just the way I'm wired. It's just the way I am. I cannot help it. And I don't doubt that you, like me, struggle with sin. I don't doubt that. I don't even doubt that you maybe are addicted to sin. That you, it feels like you can't help it. I don't doubt that the enemy in your life, like sometimes in my life, has strongholds set up, fortresses set up, that get you to act in ways that you know you ought not to act, and think and feel in ways that you know you ought not think and feel. But you've got to know this. If you're going to ever outgrow that, you've got to know that that is not what you are by nature. That's the opposite of what you are by nature because what you are by nature is a child of God, redeemed, holy, spotless, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Behold, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new, and you are new. You are new. Amen. Your heart is new. Amen. Your mind is new. Your being is new. Before you become a believer, and if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, I want you to hear this very clearly. The Bible says, and I'm just going to say it because it's true, that you are by nature a child of wrath. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. You are by nature a child of wrath. That means you're, you're, you are by nature a sinner, and you can't help it. And all the stuff the Bible tells us to walk in and to live in, it comes foreign to you. It doesn't come natural to you. It even sounds silly to you. Give your life so you can find it. What the heck is that talking about? And you may act religious for a while, but you can never on the inside begin to mirror God. It's against your nature to mirror God. You do, in the modern sense of the word, mimic God, maybe. You mimic Jesus Christ. You mimic other Christians, but you don't do it because it's on your insides to do it. And this is why, folks, I think it's really a serious mistake for believers to try to go around imposing our belief or our ethics on other people. Trying to get sinners to act like Christians, it's against their nature. And if, even if you succeed, all you do is end up concealing who they really are. And they're no better off for it. But see, for the believer, there's something in our heart that responds to this verse that says, mirror God, imitate God. It's in your nature to do it. Something inside of you knows this. And, and listen to your heart here. You know that your life is only as joyful and you only have as much peace and you only have as much power and you only have as much victory to the degree that you imitate Jesus Christ. And you know what the unregenerate person cannot know, that every other way of living is a dead-end street. The final thing I want to say about this, I want to close with this, is this. Paul says that we're not just children, but we're dearly loved children. I, as a parent, I can maybe get my kids to do what I say for a while by threatening them, by punishing them, by just pouring all sorts of vitriolic wrath on them. But I will never transform them to become like I want them to become on that basis. Fear never transforms. Hatred, wrath never transforms. It manipulates, but it does not transform. There's only one thing that transforms a person on the inside, and that is love. So the Lord does not say, imitate me, and then I'll make you children, and then I'll love you. What he says is, you are my children, I love you, therefore imitate me. Because we are dearly beloved children, there's something in us that wants to imitate God. 
We don't try to act like dearly beloved children in order to become dearly beloved. What we need to know is this. Salvation and regeneracy and sanctification and all the good stuff in the Christian walk is not some kind of carrot that we got to run after and catch in order to get the goods from God. Amen. Rather, what you need to know is this. If you believe, if you break, if you submit your heart and you say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I want you to come into my life. If the Lord just can find a crack in your ego, a crack in your heart that he can blow the Holy Spirit into and begin to change the nature there, then you are, that moment, no longer by nature a child of wrath. You are a dearly beloved child of God, infused with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And now what Paul is saying is this, because you're a kid, act like your dad, like father, like son. You'll be miserable till you do it. Begin to do what he does, mirror him, motion by motion, in every detail, Get your life to line up with him. And the fuel for the whole thing is not because I'm afraid that I'm going to go to hell if I don't. What fuels the whole thing is that I know that God loves me with the love he displayed on Calvary because I accept that. I know that I am loved with more love than I could ever imagine, and that fuels me to say, I want to be like him. I want to be like him. I'm not always like that, but I want to, in my heart of hearts, be like him. And so our prayer has to be, Father, we want to be like you. We want to be like you. We want to have your heart. We want to love like you loved. We want, Lord God, to believe the truth that we find our life by laying it down. Father, my prayer is that your spirit would right now, as it's been throughout this service, be moving in a powerful way to bring about that change in our life. God, I pray that we could become like you in our marriages, Lord. There are people, Lord, here who need to allow themselves to be crucified for their spouse. Lord, there are some here like myself, who need to be crucified for our kids. There are some, Lord God, here who need to hear this word, to become Christ-like in other relationships, siblings, in our neighborhoods, among those we work with, and so on, Lord. I pray, God, in every area, at every moment of our day, you'd be working to make us more like you, that people could see you in us. See a stark resemblance there. Father, we praise you and love you for what you've done here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.